You're listening to the On the Go with VAO News Podcast for the week ending February 26, 2016. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is our weekly recap of the top headlines from this week's daily acquisition news. Thank you for joining us today. I am Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I'm Dara Curran, content developer and fellow news writer. We start off this week with news from the realm of interesting and informative things you can play with on the Internet. The analytics.usa.gov website has added 10 agency-specific dashboards, which provide additional information on how the public is using those websites, including things like total visits over time, visitors' geographic locations, and, the bit I found most intriguing, the most popular web pages and downloads within those sites. The new views were launched by the Digital Analytics Program, or DAP, and the 18F Group, and the initial agencies showcased here volunteered to be the test cases for the project. Additional agencies will be added later, so if you or your organization want in on this, we provide the email address to contact DAP in this week's news story. The link to that is on the page where you access this podcast. 18F is turning its talents to assisting federal agencies that make grants to state and local programs, expanding its consulting and acquisition services to those organizations. The group already has a successful pilot with the Department of Health and Human Services under its belt, where it worked with HHS and the California Department of Social Services to update the state's legacy child welfare system. Instead of awarding one vendor a huge $400 million behemoth of a contract, 18F worked with the agencies to break the project into smaller contracts with faster turnaround times, an agile, modular approach. 18F reports helping to save federal agencies as much as 50% using similar techniques. The Office of Defense Procurement and Acquisition Policy has updated its five-year strategic plan for defense-wide procurement capabilities. The document outlines the overall strategic direction in which defense is heading with its procurement functions so that components can ensure their own business system portfolios are aligned to support it. Covered topics include procurement enterprise capability need, procurement mission, laws, regulations, and policies, and business enterprise architecture. Department of Defense has recognized two programs with its Should Cost in Innovation Award and three of its programs with the David Packard Excellence in Acquisition Award, which honors teams that have achieved acquisition excellence, efficiency, and productivity. Details regarding the awardees and some of the truly staggering sums of money that their hard work has saved DOD and all of us as taxpayers is included in our news coverage this week. OMB and the General Services Administration have announced all the new leaders of the 10 super categories under GSA's category management effort. The managers will be responsible for developing the strategies for their categories and leading the category and commodity teams who will execute the strategies and manage day-to-day activities. Last week, we learned that former HP executive Ken Luke will join the government as the IT category lead, and this week GSA announced the other nine category managers, including officials from GSA, the Department of Defense, VA, DHS, and Office of Personnel Management. One name that is probably familiar to our listeners, Tiffany Hickson, a regional commissioner for GSA's Federal Acquisition Service and one of GSA's public faces for the category management initiative, will be heading up the professional services category. Lots of protest news this week. Lockheed Martin has dropped its request to stop work on the Army's joint-like tactical vehicle contract. 
Lockheed originally filed a protest with the Government Accountability Office, but that was dismissed when Lockheed took its case to the Court of Federal Claims. Lockheed did not explain why it withdrew the suit, saying only that it made the decision after careful deliberation. The protester challenging the solicitation for GSA's new telecommunications contract says it has been unable to access the system for award management to submit its proposal. CompuLine International is asking instead to deliver its bid via email or on a flash drive. GSA says it will continue accepting and evaluating proposals, but will not make any award decisions till GAO decides on the protest sometime in May. That is a little bit ironic that they are bidding on this telecommunications contract, but they cannot <laughs> communicate with Sam. <laughs> Can we fax it? <laughs> We shouldn't joke. <laughs> uh, GAO recently denied Boeing's protest of the Air Force's contract award for its long-range strike bomber program, but now a protest of a different kind has reared its ugly head. Mm. Senate Armed Services Committee Chairman John McCain says he will not authorize the bomber program in next year's NDAA if the service continues with its plans to use a cost-plus type contract. The Air Force has noted that its requirements for the development phase are not entirely known, hence the contract type, but McCain says maybe that's an indication the service needs to develop the requirement further before proceeding. On the other side of the aisle, the House Armed Services Committee has held hearings about the benefits of developing mature technologies prior to moving ahead with production on expensive programs like the bomber, but Chairman Mac Thornberry has not gone on record yet in support of McCain's position on including language in next year's Defense Authorization Act. And finally, in regulatory activity, the Department of Labor has issued a notice of proposed rulemaking that would implement President Barack Obama's executive order establishing paid sick leave for federal contractors. Beginning in 2017, the order mandates that workers on federal contracts must accrue at least one hour of sick leave for every 30 hours worked, and DOL is responsible for implementing this rule in federal regulations. Comments on the proposed rule must be submitted by March 28th. So speaking of healthiness or not so healthiness, <clears throat> healthcare.gov was in the news again this week. Oh. <laughs> and uh, reading the case study that was done by uh, HHS's Office of Inspector General, it really drove home some of the other parallel threads we've been covering in the news and seen floating around lately and actually soliciting community input on through our poll this week, and that's challenges to contract management. Yes, yes, post-award contract management. Um, yeah, former OFPP administrator Steve Kelman, who we talk about a lot in the news, um, he's been beating this drum for a few weeks now, um, doing a whole series of this on his on his blog, including interviews with people who have worked on both sides, contractor and government, getting their perspectives on, on post-award contract management. Um, now, we, ASI, have released some of our research and webinar presentations outside our paywall in support of this conversation. You know, this week, you, you just mentioned we polled our VAO subscribers asking about their biggest challenges. Um, interesting, our poll responses. Uh, the most, uh, most popular first, managing poorly defined requirements was the biggest challenge our listeners uh, noted and second uh, having enough time to perform effective post-award management yes and you know right off the bat I should point out 
70% of the responses that we received in the polls so far, they were divided between those two factors. Uh, so that's, you know, they're really getting a lot of votes from you guys, so our listeners. And uh, Kelman has put forth a few different hypotheses throughout his series so far, kind of. Yes, yes, he's, he's written several times he believes uh, there's too much emphasis on pre-award activities, and he feels like the attitude after award is like, eh, everything will be okay. That was one thing that HHS's OIG reported in their case study. It was kind of the attitude in the lead up to the rollout of the site. There were so many problems that were coming up. People basically just became tone deaf to the warnings and just kept pushing ahead with the idea that it'll work out, which in some ways you have to say is logical. It was a massive effort. It was complex in both the technology and policy aspects. There were a lot of resources thrown at it, a lot of money. And with any project, it sometimes seems like there's a lot of chaos right before it all comes together. That is exactly what happens at my house when I have a dinner party, right? It's a complete disaster in the whole lead up, but it magically resolves itself right at the end into basically the product you're after. So you can imagine for a project of that magnitude, it had so many moving parts, people may have had a similar impression. But back to Kelman. In one of the interviews he himself gave on contract management, he indicated there wasn't enough focus on things like change orders and also that people are going to have a hard time monitoring performance if they don't understand the area, the subject matter that they're supposed to be monitoring. Right, right. I remember he talked about um, certain areas where there's specialists already in government because that's what they do, right? Mm -hmm. Defense. Yes. Uh, it, they know what they're looking for in, in weapon systems. Uh, yeah. Construction contracting is another area, right? Government folks have their arms around this topic area. Mm -hmm. um, but question, you know, he questioned IT uh, specifically, and of course that's an ongoing challenge. Yes, and I think that's valid. First of all, IT is such a broad area, and the pace of technology is moving so fast, you, you cannot possibly keep up with it if it's not what you do for your job. So the government is naturally going to be a little bit behind on that. Unless you're shaking out specialists to work work on those acquisitions from, you know, within the government organizations like the new digital groups. So let's take first the top poll response of poorly defined requirements that don't meet program needs as the biggest challenge to successful contract management. Kelman and his interview subjects and, and even his commenters, uh, I examined the responses his posts have prompted as well, had quite a few things to say in response to that. First off, statements of work. That may not really be the tool you want as your foundational documents seem to be the consensus. A statement of objectives, though, that's going to keep you and your team focused on outcomes, which is what HHS OIG pointed to as one of the failings in the initial management of healthcare.gov. I would propose that for IT, the Sioux may be the way to go for exactly the reason that if you are not a tech expert, you do not have a whole lot of idea of how the work should be executed. Therefore, SOW is not the way you want to go. Right, right. And if you did, you might just keep it in house. Right. Absolutely. Now, another idea is the flip side of that coin. If you don't have the expertise internally, when you're starting a program, get those vendors in get their help, right? They know the subject best, use their knowledge and expertise when you're writing up that initial document. Now, one of Kelman's commenters objected to the suggestion and he said, like, oh, that's the last thing we need is slowing the process down more. But Kelman himself did stress that this strategy, it's for big, long contracts like GSA's EIS telecom program, right? Which is replacing networks. Vendors are willing to put in the time and share the knowledge for something of that magnitude and duration. And that is probably the fastest way, actually, to get the specifics you need for your solicitation documents. Pick industry's brain. For big efforts, it is probably worth that step. 
Yes, and, and EIS is, I think, going to be a good example of, of success in industry outreach. GSA has done so much work. We're following this, obviously. I'm very interested to see how it goes. I and mean, I think it's telling that they've only had one tiny little protest of someone that just wants to give them a proposal on a flash drive, right? right yeah. um, you know, they, they're, they're, there's been a lot of, of good feedback from industry about the communication GSA has done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and on a side note, GSA is, is curating in, in the CAT Acquisition Gateway – their libraries of statements of objectives and statements of work um, in these different categories, the 10 super categories. So you know, there, there's going to be templates mm-hmm. uh, that you can find similar to your own project out there. You might be able to leverage something that's already already been done that somebody else has done the groundwork for. Definitely. So that gets you started you know, a little bit faster. But you do have to remember, once you bring it in-house for tailoring, you have to have somebody who is familiar with the subject reviewing it. An industry commenter remarked to Kelman that they had just finished writing a list of questions. It was almost as long as the entire RFP that they were asking about, (laughs) trying to clarify the numerous, I mean, it was dozens and dozens of inconsistencies that made it painfully clear. The procuring activity had just done a find and replace on somebody else's foundation documents. Don't get too lazy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it brings up another aspect, and it's much harder to address. It's people are still spread too thinly, and that can tire you out really fast, for one thing. And Given the pacing of federal acquisition programs, the amount of rules and restrictions and procedures that federal contracting personnel have to contend with, I think it must be somewhat dampening to one's daily motivation. Like you just, you're just a cog in the machinery and you start suspecting an individual alone can't really make that much of a difference for good or for ill. Yeah, and ironically, that's exactly what was said in the HHS Kate study. Um, you know, key reason for the initial sputter with the healthcare doc rollout um, was a lack of leadership. That's not even a factor we see that uh, cited often in in program audits by an, you know agency IG or GAO. And just like GSA's Sue and SOW library is moving to fill that need, there are signs of that people are getting clued into the the eagle eye view is important from a strategy perspective and from a coordination perspective. The whole premise of your favorite legislative child, Fatara, right, is about yes. involving CIOs in this high-level view of where things should be going. Yes, and there's there's discussion about involving the service chiefs in major defense acquisitions, um, particularly weapon systems. Right, which DOD's are, uh, pitching which are high up on dollar programs. Your boat can be filled with people who are pulling Oh, everybody's pulling on the oars as hard as they can, but you do need the captain up there on top, right? Navigating away from the reefs, keeping the ship aimed in the right direction, or there's going to be trouble, right? Or at least you'll be wasting effort going in circles <laughs> without that person kind of in charge. Part of the reason HHS OIG noted it was so important is that the leaders are the ones who know at that high level how all of the component pieces are going to ultimately fit together. And I think that's really important because if modifications do need to get made, you need to be really sure what the ramifications will be on the whole. And that's why Agile is so nice. When you can employ it, you attack your bite-sized piece, you get her done, and then you move on to the next piece. Interestingly, I observed that two of Kelman's hypothesized major issues did not get a lot of, oh yes, that's a problem, votes in our poll. One of his ideas was governments maybe not getting enough time and attention to contract modifications. Uh, Kelman theorized the government was either going to maybe tend to sort of rubber stamp it, which could, of course, in turn contribute to price creep, or they're reluctant to be seen approving mods without giving the contractor a good fight for it, even when the requirements or some parameter that was a foundation of the program has legitimately changed. And that actually ended up holding progress up. 
Another thing poll respondents weren't voting for in huge numbers was being a subject matter expert. So let's back up for a second, because between Kalman, his interviewees, and the case study with HHS-OIG um, and their lessons learned from that, there were some common success keys, I noticed, that help show why subject matter expertise may not really be the make-or-break deal in a well-run acquisition. One of the people Kelman interviewed was Dee Lee. Okay, this is a woman, she knows her federal acquisition. She's been on the defense side of it. She was at NASA, then OFPP itself. She knows her stuff, right? When Kelman asked her about the differences between the top performing post-award quarter of procurement management folks and the lowest performing quarter, she said, the top ones are paying attention to what the goal is. They know what items to monitor to ensure the project is on track to meet the goal. And this also overlaps with what HHS said was one of the major takeaways of their case study. When you start with a competent leader who knows what the goal is and is able to communicate that to everybody on the team, again, everybody's pulling all in the same direction. The next building block in an ideal acquisition might well be a sue, right? Maybe created with industry input. And if something in the pre-award process gets dragged out, like a big program like the EIS telecom contract. Um, it could be maybe the process of gathering extensive industry input, uh, or even now that little protest has been added into the mix. In the healthcare.gov project, they were ironing out policy and language at the same time that they were doing this huge lift of trying to get the tech infrastructure up and running. By the time they got to the actual, you know, all right, let's get our hands dirty, Kelman, Lee, OIG at HHS, they all talked about the importance of having a post-award session to regroup what's the plan of attack for the task at hand and reestablishing any baselines at that point before the real work of the project starts. Everybody needs to be on the same page. So now, presumably, you've got your objectives laid out for the project. Everyone understands what's going on. The leader has clearly explained the goals. You now should be able to translate this well-planned procurement into post-award monitoring without being a SME because Hey, you are a contracting professional by darn. So it doesn't matter if you're a SME in that area. You have the tools that you need to do your job. Another best practice from the Kelman Lee discussion that the HHS OIG also voted for was talking about communication. People are definitely justifiably worried about things like finger pointing, blame, uh, performance reviews, and even litigation. But the thing is, if you have a relationship with adequate collaboration and trust, then you can talk like normal humans do. Hey, you guys, we're running into some issues with this. We see X could be a potential problem, so we're going to try you know, Y and Z to get around it. Maybe the other half of the team that you share this with, they can suggest their own solutions, but everybody at that point at least is aware of what's happening on the ground. Another Kelman interview subject suggested that everybody needs to be meeting at least quarterly for these kind of powwows. A good contractor will suggest it, even if the folks on the government procurement side don't ask for that. And at the end of the day, it comes to, back to legitimate issues in, in understaffing the workforce. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a lot of hands-on work. It's having meetings. It's troubleshooting. It's a lot easier to work, look at data on the screen and say, well, the reports look good. You know, the deliverable right. came in, you know, and, and there's also very high attrition rate um, among very ex experienced procurement personnel. The, they are, these are really hard issues to address. And Kalman acknowledged this too. He said, there's a point at which you just need more bodies, right? And that that's going to need to be faced at some point. Government is trying to tighten its belt on spending, sure, but investment is going to get made one way or the other. You either do it on the front end with your staffing and your training, or you are going to be obliged to throw money at the problem on the back end when there's problems that you need to fix. And it's always more expensive at that point with a less optimal outcome than, you know, 
if you just started off right in the first place. While we're waiting for, I don't know, I guess it's lawmakers who have to get on board with that theory, one thing that seemed like a good suggestion from one of Kelman's interviewees was using down-select procedures. Lighten the workload on the front end. And one commenter also pointed out that maybe there just needs to be more consistent emphasis on the flexibilities in the FAR. It's supporting contracting officers to use their best judgment with the mantra that if it's not prohibited, it's allowable. You know, I, I remember one thing too that struck me um, from Kelman's articles. It was that uh, you know the statement of work or the statement of obje- objectives uh, sometimes are handled kind of in a vacuum. Maybe that's not it's too strong a word, but um, it kind of gets the point across. Um, mm-hmm. a, a separate person was brought in to write the statement of work or the statement of objectives, and then they handed it off to somebody else. And that seems very disjointed to me, right? Like you, you have a ghostwriter come in to do. You know, that statement for you. And you know, when you think that a, a person able to write a good statement of work has to have sufficient grasp of the project goals, uh, probably a pretty in-depth understanding of the project, um, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be logical to pull that person into the integrated team? Right. The That individual had also commented that when it's handed off later, these disjointed SOW Sioux writers are long gone. And the time it becomes clear to the rest of the team that the requirements have been written inadequately to deliver the needed capabilities, these people are, you know, out of the picture, off on to writing the next thing. And since poorly defined requirements was gripe number one of our poll respondents, it would be nice if there was more continuity that could be built into the process. Keep the SOO or the SOW coming from somebody who's in the project for the long haul. Right. And speaking of the long haul, <laughs> so we were at the end of that, but I, I thought there were a lot of interesting points made and food for thought. And I also thought it was really interesting to compare um, what Mr. Kelman's ideas were versus what the experience was reported by our participants. And as a reminder, if you are interested in this topic we've been bandying about, uh, please go in. You can still vote in the poll. We're very interested in your opinions about that topic. If you are a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, you'll be able to find links to this week's headlines and the poll for further reading on the VAO on the very same page where you downloaded the podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us again for our next Daily News podcast on March 4th. Goodbye.